The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side podcast. I'm your host, Scott Kirk, along with my co-host, Lucas Sullivan. And today we are going to be speaking to the chief of the Columbus Police Department, Chief Kim Jacobs. Thank you for coming. Certainly. Lucas, you want to start off? Yeah, so this is very cool to have the chief in today. So thanks for being here. You know, there's a lot of things to cover, but one of the things I've always been interested in is you've made a career in a profession that is a male-dominated profession. That's no secret. And I wonder, you know, now that you're on the back end of your career, I'm trying to be polite here. I'm not trying to. I'm not a has-been yet. I'm wondering what perspectives and and what advice do you have, especially for the women out there who are thinking about being police officers and also just in a profession where there's a lot of males around? I'll tell women and minorities, we need you. We are still about 90% male. And that's after, you know, 40 years of not discriminating against women and minorities that Mm -hmm. wanted to be a police officer officer back in the day. So yeah, discrimination used to be the problem, but now it's desire. We need to have more women and minorities that desire to be police officers. And it's going to be different because it's working in an environment that may not be used to working in, but um, we definitely need that representation because they bring something to this type of work that we need to see more often. And that's an understanding of a perspective that's different than that homogeneous group that we've had for so long. What do you think are the hurdles that, you know, after you say 40 years, why can't this get solved? Is it the nature of the work? Is it the physicality of being a police officer? Like, well, what is it? Do you have a sense of why this is difficult? Well, I think that even today, childbearing years are something that women consider. And, you know, being away from their children growing up, I think the responsibility is still largely looked upon as being the woman's responsibility. We know that our new personnel, male and female, are going to work second shift or third shift for 10 to 15 years. And when they think my kid's going to go to school and, you know, maybe be in sports or after school activities, when do I get to see them? And so that's definitely a thought. I I just spoke to one of our personnel that is working for us as a civilian, but has always wanted to be a police officer, but she's in childbearing years. And she's like, I don't know if I'm going to want to be a police officer after I have a, a baby. So that's, I think, a big consideration yet for women. And I think it's a a feeling that Sheryl Sandberg mentioned a long time ago in her book that women want to be 100% sure that they can do the job before they might sign up for it. And I can say that that's a generality, but it might be, you know, representative of why some women don't get into it. But it is a job that women can do. And um, we have, you know, training and techniques and tactics and weapons to be that equalizer for them with regard to using force. And I remember very clearly when I was in the academy, I'm, you know, five foot eight, back then about 140 pounds. I'm like, how am I going to deal with somebody that's six foot something and 250 pounds? Mm. And it was that intermediate weapon that I was given that I thought, okay, well, that makes me feel better. But it ended up for that seven years that I was on the street as a police officer. I didn't have to use it because I talked to people and, you know, called my partners in and used them to help um, deal with the situation. But, you know, de-escalation, communication skills are something that women are pretty good at, maybe out of necessity some of the time. Mm. And um, so we have to make sure that more women understand that they do have the skills. It's just not maybe the ones that they think they might need to use. All these things that you're talking about, you you went through. I mean, you lived it, you know, those childbearing years, those work in the street. So how did you do it? I mean, how, you know, was it, were, were you ever at a breaking point or did you ever have to lean on someone? You know, everyone views cops as, you know, these tough 
exterior like you know i'm sure there were times where you had to talk to someone and maybe help get through it how did you navigate those years so you know if you are having a family then it's just a matter of of getting the kind of help that you need and that's usually going to be you know either the the partner that you have or um babysitting help and nowadays it's available back in the day you know 40 50 years ago you know a lot of places closed down at four o'clock in the afternoon but now people are available 24-7, and so that's not as big of an issue anymore. But to me, it was just a matter of this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, my career, and how do I make it happen? How do I make it work? And not being afraid of going into it, but just that positive attitude of saying, I, I think I can make this work. Was one of your goals originally to be in a leadership position? Like, did you foresee yourself ever being in the position that you're in now? Or No, not right away. I mean, I was just excited to be in the academy, first of all, to be a police officer on the street. But my group of academy classmates had 18 women, and we started with 18 women. It's one of the largest groups of women that we've ever had, and that was in 1979, unfortunately. Mm. So we would sit around at lunchtime and say, wow, do you think any one of us will be the first female sergeant? Mm -hmm. Because there weren't any female sergeants at that time. So we talked about that, but never in my wildest dreams back in the day did I think that I'd be the chief of police. So that didn't happen until well into my career as a commander and saying, yeah, maybe I I could do that. And um, I even went for sergeant because, again, I wasn't sure if I could do it as well as I thought it needed to be done. The examples that I had seen convinced me that I can do it better than they can. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when you first came on as chief and there was a lot of back chatter about you being chief and, you know, not only being a woman, but being openly gay. And I remember hearing a lot, especially from maybe some of the guys who didn't get that position. And that's where some of that was chatter was coming from. But now, as you've been in the position for a while, it's it's like flipped. And I wonder, how did you do that? And did you hear in the beginning, did you hear that type of chatter? And did you let it bother you? Certainly. I was told there'd be a vote of no confidence, actually, over just that one issue, you know, when I was newly installed and you know, I went out the first couple of days and just started talking to people. And I think being authentic goes an awful long ways towards convincing people that your intentions are good and that you're just the same person that you've always been and that you have a desire to be the person that they deserve as a leader. And when they hear that, when they believe it and you're, you sound credible, I think it makes a huge difference. And so to me, it's always trying to be myself because if you try to be somebody else, then you're just pretending. And so being authentic, being full of integrity, I think makes a huge difference to at least the people in my organization. I wonder though, did I mean, did you go home at times and crack open some bourbon or a, a bottle of wine and just chug it or sit on the couch and binge watch something? I mean, I'm sure there were moments where it wasn't pretty. How'd you, you get, deal with all those men? Yeah. How did, how did you <laughs> get through that? Because when someone comes at you like that, it's hurtful no matter how long you've been in a profession. And I just wonder, how did you deal with that when you went home and there was no one else around? So, I mean, even starting in the academy, me. I went out for a ride along as OJT and one of the officers said, I don't think women should be police officers. So this is 19. He said it to you. He said it right to me. Wow. I mean, we're sitting in mm. the car side by side and I'm a, in the academy. I've already been hired. And I said, well, you know, I hope to prove you wrong kind of a thing. And fortunately for me, I became his chief. <laughs> He was, still, <laughs> he was still an officer. I'm pretty sure he probably forgot he said that sure. and or changed his mind over the last 40 years. But, but I remembered stuck it. with you. I yeah. remembered it. But I also recognize that I asked for this. You know, I asked for this knowing what it was going to be like. 
um, that there would be doubters, that there would be people that didn't agree with me, all of that kind of thing. So pretty much I've just kept my head down and tried to do my work the best way that I could and not worried about that noise. I mean, I've also been a change agent within the organization. So you get criticized for making change. So whether it's me being female or gay or just making change, I've accepted that I'm going to be criticized and I asked for it. You know, I volunteered for it. So you can't really complain about it a whole lot. I've stood up when I felt that I was being singled out or my gender or whatever else it was. But most of the time I've tried not to say, oh, they're doing that because I'm a woman or whatever. Just tried to stick on my job. I'm here not to be a favorite or to be well-liked or anything like that. I'm here because I have, have a mission for myself and a mission for the division of police. And I think staying focused on that has really helped me not go down into the you know the the worrying and the oh why me kind of a thing I, I just try to stay focused on doing my job and not worrying about that noise whether it's internal or external you mentioned earlier about talking to people moving on to how you've been dealing with the issues between and these are nationwide issues between the police and the minority community and you know there's been some incidents in Columbus over the last couple of years the relationships have been really strained but I know that you've had these back channel conversations with leaders in the black community. And I wonder where you sit with that on the, in terms of the kind of discussions you had and were there some some agreements made or some, you know, path that you were going to try to open up communication lines with other people and things didn't happen. I'm just wondering if you could describe a little bit some of that work that you try to do on the back channels and if it's gotten you anywhere. Certainly. I, I can't tell you the value that we have in dialogue, you know, just talking. I think that it's important. So we've been to a number of events that are, are, you know, predominantly African-American, either at a church or YMCA meeting or whatever it might be, and, and just sat down and talked. There are perceptions about things that have happened, things, why things happen that need to be talked about. And getting the other side of the story is important as well. So I have talked to a lot of people and, and believe that the more we talk, the more we understand. There's a lot of support actually for the police. And I think a lot of people in the African-American community understand that they need to have us in their neighborhood, but they want it to be done the right way. And they have every right to expect that. And when we look at some of the past things in particular, and then some of the current things going on, especially in other neighborhoods and cities, I should say, we have to understand why they might not trust us. And that's one of the things that I've taught my own personnel. More than 500 people have attended my three-hour class on how do we use our core values to better interact? And I have to teach people that didn't grow up during the civil rights years why not everybody likes the police. Because when I grew up, I was taught respect the police. You know, the image of the police was pretty good back in the day. Mm-hmm. But that's when the police weren't as good and there was less scrutiny. Now the police are better and there's more scrutiny and, and criticism. So my officers can feel, I guess, criticized for things that they haven't done, but they need to understand why that's happening. And so I talk about that. Why why don't people like the police? Why would they run from the police? Why would they, you know, generalize about the police? And so we, we talk about that. We talk about the civil rights era. We talk about, you know, what the police did in Germany during the Holocaust and how we have to improve our, our reputation and our image and understand where people are coming from and not just blow it off and say, you shouldn't feel that way. Because they have every right to feel that way. So, we just have to try to work on it. Just to go further on that topic that you were talking about, Chief Jacobs. So recently, um, an officer that was 
caught on video, Officer Zach Rosen was reinstated. For those of you who don't know, he was caught on video basically stumping on the, the head of a suspect. I think initially you recommended a short-term suspension. And so basically, I think through arbitration, it's now been decided that he be reinstated. And so my question to you, because for me, this is personal. I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I feel, you know, at times that, that my life uh, could be in jeopardy if I get caught in the wrong situation with an officer, whether it just be a misunderstanding, miscommunication, whatever. So can you explain to me why I or any other citizen, especially a resident of color, should feel safe knowing that Officer Rosen is, is back on duty? And I mean that because regardless of whatever the department outcome or the legal outcome of it is, I don't know very many professions where a person could assault another person. And that's my characterization of it could assault another person and basically not even lose their job. But how do why should I feel safe knowing that he's out there or another officer like him? And there seems to be not a lot of repercussions for misbehavior or inappropriate behavior. Pretty complex. First of all, we have a number of officers that make mistakes and he's not the only one. And we take corrective action when they make mistakes. This case made headlines for a number of reasons, but there was no indication that it was based on race. You know, So if it was discriminatory, if it was something that we could prove the officer acted with bad intentions, bad motives, all that kind of thing, that would have been handled far differently. As it boils down to, it was excessive force, which we've had more, you know, more cases than just this one. Mm-hmm. And we've taken corrective action and we move on. Officers have They are not at will. They have a property interest in their job, if you will. So to take away their job is a big hurdle, especially in the eyes of a third party neutral. And that's what the arbitrator said in this particular case. But we have a lot of policies, rules, training and everything else to try to keep officers from making mistakes like that. And we constantly go over that. What I think is important is that we talk about the facts of that case and other cases and determine whether or not me and the division of police and the director of public safety are holding people accountable for their actions. Losing your job over a mistake is pretty easy in a world where there's people working at will. It's not as easy in a world where you have property rights per the Constitution to your job. But I want you to, to be able to trust all of our officers that they're going to do the right thing. You know, Some of those same officers that have been given discipline for a lot of different mistakes, if you will, or accidents, if they accidentally did something or even purposely did something, have gone on to serve the public very well. And we give people an opportunity to succeed. And if that officer or another officer makes another mistake, then they will be held accountable for that. But you do understand that. Well, let me ask, how does this help improve community relations? Because you understand the perception. I understand what you're saying, but the perception for someone who may not know the details and just kind of catches news clips or, or whatever's on the Internet. How does this help your goal to, like I said, strengthen community bonds? Because especially in the African-American community, to a lot of people, just just this seems like another instance of an officer doing something and kind of getting a slap on the wrist. Whether that's accurate or not is one thing, but the perception is there. And so this just fosters this. You were saying, why do people fear police? They see incidences like this. They see that in their mind, there's really no repercussions for it. So does this help or hurt your goal? Well, it certainly does not further our interest in improving trust. I understand that. But there are facts that are important to that particular case. You know, that officer was associated with another incident where he basically had to save his own life. 
and yet he was castigated for that. And so I think the facts actually do matter greatly with regard to people's perceptions. And I encourage everybody to, to try to get an explanation. You know, every every time I am asked about this particular thing, I explain a little bit more and people start to understand why, you know, losing your job is not necessarily going to be the answer all the time. But we just have to talk. We have to get some of the facts discussed. You know, officers can't be wondering whether or not a particular group in our community is going to call for their termination. It has to be somewhere consistent. You know, they have to understand what the rules are, how they'll be held accountable, because if we go with public opinion, then I don't think you're going to get too many people that will sign up if there isn't some consistency in how they're disciplined. Chief, I know you've got to get going, but I didn't want you to leave without asking you this. And we've played some of your audio from your press conference that you had after the record number of homicides last year in the city. And you stood up at that press conference and you basically not so subtly pleaded with um, the community. And I thought I thought you were talking at times to the black community, too, given that so many of the victims uh, were were black who were killed last year and i just wonder what what your goal was at that press conference and do you feel that 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 helped well i certainly hope so but i know that people are still leery about either talking to the police or calling the police and we've got to work on that or else people will continue to get killed and we won't be able to solve their homicides and it's not just homicides it's shootings i mean we'll get to the scene where people have been shot and haven't died and they're like yeah i'm not going to talk to you or i'm not going to tell you anything and they don't want to cooperate with us they'll either take care of it themselves or they don't trust us to take care of it but i i challenge everybody to give us the information that we need and then hold us accountable for using that information wisely. I encourage people to call internal affairs if they've got a complaint against officers because I'd like to have both sides of the story so that people get a response. Uh, People's perceptions of how things happen is often different than the reality. Our body cameras are proving just that. We've got people that accuse officers of doing all sorts of things. We watch the camera and then show it to that person. They're like, ah, that is not how I perceived it. So we need to get past some of those perceptions and show people how things actually played out so that they understand it better. And I think that we need to continue to talk in our dialogue sessions and and show up for some of our community engagement activities, citizen police academy, ride-alongs, all of that, give people a better understanding of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And certainly what we're trying to accomplish is keeping people safe, and that's people in every single neighborhood, in every single street of the city, without favor, without discrimination. All right. Thanks, Chief. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Please come back. Okay. Anytime. And while we're on the subject of men and women in uniform, let's talk about men's style and clothing specifically yours and mine so number one a good suit got it i don't is that crazy you don't have a suit you i do have not a have a suit? suit what do you wear to a funeral i have like slacks and blazers and jackets but i don't oh. actually have a suit uh, that's terrible huh you gotta get a suit man but i don't really go anywhere like that i need to use it maybe yeah, that means i, mean, I don't have just, a life a suit, see business. a suit man it's one of those things you can you get a nice black suit I know. you could just dust that thing off it never goes out of style i know you know, I know. you gotta get a suit man i know you're a grown man Number two, a great pair of shoes. What's a great pair of shoes? Um, what does that mean? I got 20 LeBrons okay, in my a, closet. Are quote, those great pairs According to of shoes? this article, a style expert says, quote, the shoes don't have to be brand new as long as you keep up on them and make sure they are clean. Okay. So I'm assuming that just means in general, like a great pair of dress shoes, a great pair of gym shoes. So basically, just keep your shoes clean and in good shape no matter what kind you're wearing. Number three, a great fitting pair of jeans. Do you have this? I don't wear jeans. Ever? Ever. Are you American? Yeah. 
You sure? Listen, I used to wear jeans all the time, and now I'd like to wear the nice, casual, broken-in khakis. On the weekend, too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, jeans just, yeah, I just, I'm just not a jeans guy. Let me tell you something. Guy. We ever go out for a beer, and you show up in khakis, but I'm no, leaving. I, but I'm talking like, I, I'm not talking like Jim Harbaugh khakis. I'm not talking like that, like Walmart doctors <laughs> khakis. or khakis. khakis? What are you talking I'm about? Talking, well, I mean, I don't mean khakis, but like um, What about shorts? Style. You ever wear shorts? Yeah, but I wear, I don't, listen, the pants we wear now, man, like, I'm I'm sorry. Like, I just, I, I don't like the way everything, like, you can see everybody's phone outline in their pants. Like, the pants, like, our pants are just You don't have to now. get them tight. But everything. You but don't like, have to get skinny But the pockets jeans. in your pants aren't, aren't made for these gigantic phones we're carrying around. Your wallet. And the reason I know I'm right about this, because, like, you see these companies popping up now with these, like, like skinny wallets. I don't know what they're called, but the wallets where they try yeah. to, like, slim it down. Because people are like, it makes it look like I got an extra butt cheek back there. Actually, you shouldn't wear your wallet in your back pants pocket. You should not. Why? Oh, that's yeah, the easiest put, place to steal it. I, I have a button. My my pants have a button. Plus, that I can it put messes up your spine when you sit on it. It makes your spine uneven. So where do you but keep anyway, your wallet? In my front pocket. What? Yeah. Where else would I keep it? Wow. You you hey, let me tell you something. You want this wallet? I'm most a no. You gonna have to. You most have to, dudes are not carrying their wallet in their front pocket. Where do you carry your wallet? In the back. Yeah. You guys should stop doing that. No, man. Google wallet no. and back pants pocket. I have a protective flap that goes over, that I button down that goes over my wallet. How many times do you even pickpocketed a lot? No, because I carry my wallet in my front pocket. No. My point is the pants aren't made to carry around a lot of stuff. You put your car keys, your phone, and your wallet in your I, pants, you feel like you're basically like a Sherpa up running up a mountain. Like, it's ridiculous. And pants shouldn't be like that. So no, I don't wear jeans. I like nice, comfortable, broken in. Like, I got all these nice, different colors. I got blue, I got black, you, I got you definitely gray, sound like I got like khakis. Well, I'm going to put my khakis on today and put my wallet I in my back this, pocket because like, I'm going, I'm going to play P-Knuckle later on like with the guys at the park. P-Knuckle. Number four, Pete Knuckle. A great white t shirt. You got that? Nope. How do you not have a white t shirt? You mean like your standard, like white cotton tee? I guess so. Or a white dress shirt. I got a white dress shirt. Everybody's got to have that, right? It's, it's a t shirt. No, I don't have that. I don't think you're, I don't think you were I, born here. You know what? You know what I got a lot? I got, I got some v necks at home, different colors. <laughs> Perfect to go with your, with your khaki. I wear my v neck and my v, khakis. Are v necks out? I'm a cool guy. So number, <laughs> number five, a pair of old boots. No, I mean I got snow boots. They're not old. Okay, they're waterproof. I'm done with you. Old so. boots. You can wear them as a casual look or a more formal no. look. Okay. No, I don't have any. You have boots. Yeah. You got boots. Yeah. What got, kind of boots? I have like Tim's. I have mm. Timberlands. For I had a pair of Timberlands back know. in the day. And I've got polo boots. And I like big, you know, kicking See, the like door boots. I don't like to feel like I'm walking around with cement blocks on my feet. Like when I walk, I want the floor. I want to feel some vibration. Nah. Yeah. No. So, but I do need to get a pair of dress boots. So, and a suit. Let's just review here. So, Lucas has one, but he does not have a great pair of shoes. I do have a great pair of shoes. Okay. Dress shoes. You do not have jeans. You don't have a t shirt and you don't have boots. So, you're about like one out of five. I don't have a suit. I got great shoes. I definitely have jeans. Why are you marking me off for not having great shoes? I I have great shoes. Okay. Two out of five. Okay. Which is still an F. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Great white t-shirt. Dude, no. I will buy you a t-shirt. I don't How want do you, a white everybody t-shirt. Everybody needs a t-shirt. No, I don't want a white t-shirt. Okay. And a nice pair of boots. Like, you can't... A white tee? Never? No? No. I'm Maybe not going to get a cultural one. thing. I don't think it is, but... No, it's not. I'll wear cargo shorts and swim trunks. I'm not ashamed. 
and your handkerchief. Yeah. Here's what every man needs to have in their closet. Here's my list. Okay. Now it gets interesting. A nice pair of comfortable pants. Khakis. Could be jeans, could be khakis. A pair of basketball shoes to play basketball in. Okay. A pair of dress shoes. Okay. A nice sweater to go to your mom's house because every time you show up in a nice sweater, it makes your mom feel like she raised you right. You should okay. have a nice sweater. Okay. By the way, who keeps a white t-shirt in their closet? You put that stuff in your drawer. Not if ex- that goes next to your underwear. No, you're thinking of undershirt. This is a t-shirt, a shirt you would wear outside. Well, those still would go in the drawer. You hang up your, you hang up t-shirts? I fold them. You don't see? And I put them in point. my closet. You just made my point for me. And the last thing you need to have is a suit. That, was that five things? Does anybody know what his point was? All right, so I'm going to name my things. I can't wait. Okay, every man needs one pair of shoes for every occasion. Yeah. So you need a pair of gym shoes. You need a pair of dress shoes. I agree with that. And you need a pair of in-between shoes Yeah, that are not like super hard sole yeah. dress shoes, but also not gym shoes. Every man needs a sport coat or a blazer. Every man needs... I do think every man needs a great pair of jeans. Like or I've pants. had, I've had. Je- Why do they got to be jeans? Because it's something about jeans. Jeans conform to like if you get khakis, khakis don't really conform to your body. A good pair of jeans, after you wash them and wear them, they actually start to like conform to your body. Okay. So that like that's why people get jeans and they're like, oh, these are the most comfortable jeans ever. It's because jeans conform to your body. I think every guy needs. I personally think glasses. I know that sounds crazy, but like when you want to like look super intellectual, you know, you put your glasses on, but then you just, you know, maybe you just going to hang out with some friends. You don't need all that. And cologne. Every see, man needs See, I can tell cologne. See, I can tell Scott isn't married. So I see I can tell. See, like when you get married, man, you don't need that. You don't need glasses. You don't need cologne. That stuff goes out the window. That's because you just you replace it with comfortable sweaters and six different colors of yes, because that's very sexy. Yeah, well, I mean, nothing like a good comfortable sweater, cologne, and sunglasses. (laughs) When you say it like that, it sounds super stupid. But trust me, like waste of money. Like when you go out and like women like, I love your glasses. Ooh, you smell so good. Yeah. Or they could be like, that's a very comfortable looking sweater you got on. on. I got a bottle of cologne on my sink. It's collecting dust. And that smell of ivory soap on you man that sure is hot old spice old spice yeah to go you you know what the khaki thing all of this makes sense now it's all coming together i switch it up though it's dove it's old spice and it's irish spring why do dove what do you need what do you need sometimes i need my skin to feel nah nah you're married you don't need you don't need smooth skin i'm just saying like i sometimes i i do stuff for me Oh, that's you pampering yourself? Yes. I pamper myself. Well, get some jeans. Pamper yourself with that. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of The Other Side. And I'm very excited to announce that you can now find us in the iTunes store. Just search for The Other Side Gatehouse and you should be able to find it. Or you can also find it on dispatch.com slash the other side. And please make sure you check out our other Dispatch podcasts. And you can also find Lucas's articles on dispatch.com as well. So So until the next time, take a little time to see the other side. Thanks.